Good morning. How's everyone this morning? It's a pleasure to be here with you. This morning I want to tell you a story. Um, in my own life, um, some of you have heard some of my testimony here before as I've shared it, but to recap in general, essentially, um, at a very young age, I began using drugs and became, in fact, addicted. Um, and I had a long battle of going to many different treatment centers. And eventually, um, through a very long and painful process, uh, the very last treatment program that I came to was a kind of a last-ditch effort for me. Um, and it was a place in East Texas called the House of Isaiah. little Christian, uh, kind of uh, not your typical run-of-the-mill um, clinical type of environment. And uh, it was at that program that God changed my life and transformed me. Um, and through that experience and through the experience I had gained through all of my difficulty, eventually when I got clean um, there, I uh, came back and worked for the program. Um, and I worked for them for some time doing admissions. And what I want to um, tell you about is, is an event that occurred Early on, when I had begun working for the House of Isaiah and I was doing their admissions and working with families, um, going out and doing interventions um, on people and getting them into treatment, what had transpired prior to me coming to the program, there was a client who came through who was affluent and of great financial means. And um, you, you may not think this initially, but... You can imagine that people in treatment oftentimes get frustrated and sideways with some of the administration. And uh, this individual was no different. And uh, so he and the executive director clashed quite a bit. And eventually he was asked to leave the program. And uh, he was so full of anger and resentment that he spent a great deal of money um, and time and effort, frankly, trying to uh, really bring the program into uh, disrepute, and to, to drag it through the mud. Um, and so he was calling state agencies and trying to report things, uh, many of which there weren't really issues there. But So he was stirring up all this trouble for the program. And it wasn't uh, very long before some of that started to affect uh, the admissions. And that was about the time that I came on. And so what was initially, when I had come, a 60-bed uh, facility that was completely full and busting at the seams, had, when I came on, uh, was dwindling down, and soon within about a month or so of me coming on, it dwindled down to about 13 beds. And quite frankly, if you're trying to run a program and sustain a residential living type of environment and provide all the care and counseling and things, that they, all the components that you're trying to provide... Um, that's not a great operating budget to work with in a, in a 50 or 60 bed facility with, with 13 beds. And so what the program encountered, and indeed what I encountered, was an obstacle. And the reality is that in, in life, each of us in different areas, whether it's work or our personal lives, our relationships, sometimes sickness or, or whatever, the reality is that we all share in this difficult circumstance that we call life, that's sometimes joyous and overwhelming and other times painful and difficult. But the reality is that we each confront obstacles of different kinds. And what we're called to do as Christians is in the face of significant obstacles to express faith 
and to somehow make it through. And that's what we'll be talking about this morning. Since we all face these obstacles, we're going to ask and answer the question. What should the people of God do in the face of adversity, in the face of grave obstacles? And we'll be looking at our text in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at some events in the lives of Jesus and His disciples. And from that, we will see that there are things that we are called to do, that the people of God are called to do when they face obstacles, storms that come on us, storms that come into our lives, sometimes of our own making, of our own sin, other times completely irrespective of what we've done. The reality is that life happens and difficulty comes and adversity arises. And so the, the, the issue here, and I think it was said uh, this morning, Tommy was, was kind of elaborating on the scriptures and he was telling us about uh, how it doesn't, it doesn't mean that all things are good. It means that all things work together for good. That's the passage in Romans. And so... I really want to highlight that, that the truth is that we all face difficulty. And the question then is, how will we handle it? How do we handle the difficulty that arises in our lives? No matter what that difficulty is, and no matter how painful and seemingly insurmountable that obstacle may be. So we'll be asking and answering that question. And so first we'll understand, I'd like us to understand the problem And it's a rather easy one to accept, I think. The problem is that we all have to live life, and life is not always as we would like it to be. Um, And secondly, we'll see in our text the proper response, the response that we can actually conceptualize here that, that transpires, a unique response. Our passage today is rather unique. And I want you to see how Jesus and Peter interact. And what transpires? And then we're going to ask and answer the final questions, right? Without a lifeline, the final questions, how can we put this into practice in our lives? How can what we see in the text actually change how we live today, tomorrow, and forward? So, first I want you to consider Jesus. Life presents everyone with obstacles, and Jesus certainly was no different. What we see in the life of Jesus, the Lord, is that throughout His life and ministry, He encounters consistently opposition throughout His ministry. Not only is He rejected by His family who disbelieve in His mission and who He is claiming to be, but it's His friends. In fact, even though he is, by the text's own admission, very, very knowledgeable of the biblical text, the people who study the text, the Pharisees, are not happy with him. In fact, they're the antagonists throughout all four gospel uh, presentations. The Pharisees, the ones who uh, believe in the resurrection, the ones who study the text night and day, in fact, that's essentially their role in society. The Pharisees were the teachers of the law. These are the ones who uh, would, were looking at the text in order to teach people how to live from the text. And so among the different groups that you've got in the time in which Jesus arrives, you would think that the ones closest to the text would be the most open to hear 
from Jesus. But what in fact we find in the text is that the ones who study the text so closely are in fact the ones who have constructed this box in which the Messiah must fit. And when Jesus, the Son of God, arrives, He doesn't fit in their box. And so they reject Him as a result. So He's rejected by His family. He's rejected socially. Indeed, He's, he's murdered falsely. Uh, for uh, He's ridiculed, mocked, He's persecuted. He suffers the loss of essentially everything, including His own life. And so... Jesus faced significant obstacles throughout his life and throughout his ministry. And yet he's called his mission is to come and to live a holy and sinless life in the midst of a sinful and unholy world. So not only does he have kind of a difficult time with people, but he has a challenging vocation, right, to to proclaim the kingdom of God that no one thinks he can bring in the face of difficult circumstances, of significant obstacles. His disciples, this ragtag bunch of fellows, who's a rather interesting, they're composed of a rather interesting group. I, I like the disciples, I like to look at them, because frankly, I find myself in several of their characters. Jesus pulls a tax collector. See, that's somebody who works for the Roman government and extorts money from the Jews. And so the Jews hate the tax collectors, but Jesus recruits one. Jesus recruits a zealot, right? These are the ones who believe that God's kingdom will come, but believe that we need to pick up swords and bring the kingdom ourselves. So Jesus draws, and Jesus grabs some fishermen, he grabs some other folks, and so it makes this very unique set of, of individuals from very diverse uh, backgrounds. And they all have their unique personalities. And of course, we're all familiar with Peter because he's the loud and almost obnoxious disciple, the one who speaks before he thinks, the one who acts before he considers his actions. And so I find myself probably most aligned with Peter to some degree. That's historically been my personality. I speak before I think. I act before I really consider the implications. At least historically, I'm working on that. Hopefully you are too. But what we'll see, let's look now at Matthew chapter 14. We'll begin in verse 32. Excuse me, 22. And before we begin in our text, we've considered Jesus, we've considered the disciples... But I wonder, in fact, if it might not be of value to consider ourselves for a moment. To consider the world in which we live presently. You can't turn on the news without hearing of economic collapse. Of all the difficulties. And frankly, you don't need to watch the news as much as you need to simply look around. The reality is that many of us touched, many of us in this room this morning have been touched by the economy, have been significantly burdened by what has transpired both in the stock market and elsewhere that's trickled down into our local community. That's one of the reasons that Rock Point last week, I think it was last, lost track going to youth camp, but 
we, we did this kind of reverse offering, this manna test, right? Where we're trying to actually assist you in doing what the church is called to do in helping people who are in need. And we do this because we recognize the tremendous need in our communities, even though externally it may look like everything is beautiful and pretty. But the reality is that a lot of people are suffering. My family's touched by it. My own mother had a rather prestigious job, and based on this large conglomerate corporation in another state going bankrupt and the sales of several other things, her office was closed almost overnight. And that's just the reality of what we're living through. Perhaps it's not the economy. Perhaps it's sickness. When I was 15 years old, I began to watch the slow and progressive death of the closest woman in my life other than my mother, who is very much a second mother. That would be my grandmother. And at the age of when I was 15, she got uterine cancer and that progressed to lymphoma and then on to her brain. And so the reality is that we live in a world in which people get sick and sometimes they don't get better and sometimes we lose them on this side. So that occurred in my own life and I know that that occurs in yours. We deal with economic difficulty. We deal with the obstacles of sickness and pain and of loss, loss of love, loss of friends, loss of perhaps possessions because of the economy. The reality is that we all face these types of obstacles. And of course, there's always the obstacles that we present ourselves, which I am uh, really good at doing, whether through my own sin or simply through poor decision making. Often we create circumstances in our own lives that are difficult, that create, we've created our own obstacles that we have to overcome. So the reality is that both for Jesus and His disciples as well as for us here today, we all face obstacles, storms that come upon us in our little boats that rock us, that scare us that we have to learn how to navigate through. So, Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of Him to the other side while He dismissed the crowd. After He had dismissed them, He went up on a mountainside by Himself to pray. When evening came, He was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land. And note this, it was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. I wonder how many times you have felt that your little boat, your little unit, in which you find your security and stability is being challenged by oppositional winds, by oppositional waves, by the storms of life that come and rock our boat, that indeed terrify us. So the disciples are alone. Verse 25, during the fourth watch of the night. Now, Jewish time is told during the daytime from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. in hours. First, second, third, fourth hour, and so on. In the evening, it's broken up into four watches of three-hour periods. So from 6 to 9 p.m., 9 to 12, 12 to 1, uh, excuse me, 12 to 3, and 3 to 6. So the fourth watch, then, is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. During this time, 
Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw Him walking on the lake, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And cried out in fear. So they see this Jesus, the same Jesus whom they just witnessed before, feeding thousands of people, telling parables, healing the sick, casting out demons. And yet when they see Him, they're terrified and cannot believe that it is who they see. Fear has captured their attention and is preventing them from seeing the reality of who is before them. I just wonder whether our own fear in our difficult circumstances prohibits or inhibits us from seeing the person of God in our circumstance, even when He is before us. As we continue, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Notice Peter, the big mouth Peter. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. He doesn't hold anything back. If it's you, I want out. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. So just to recap here, we are in the boat with the disciples. The boat is being buffeted by waves and wind. They see what appears to be an apparition of Jesus. Right? Nobody can believe it's Him. We're terrified. We're probably going to die in this boat. Right? And, and this, this, this ghostly figure speaks to us in this terrifying manner. And of course, goofy Peter is like, well, if it's you, let me out of the boat. Tell me to come to you. Right? And you can imagine the dialogue of the disciples. There's Peter again, always trying to be the spiritual one. Right? But yet Peter takes a step of faith. He does something. He does more than just simply believe something. He said, you know what? I want to test this out. I, I think it's you, but I want to see. And if it is, then I should actually do something. And so Peter gets out of the boat and experiences something miraculous. He walks on water. The only disciples... See, we've got in the Gospels Jesus walking on water and that's really not a problem because we don't have a problem. He's, we, we, Jesus is divine and you know, it, it, we kind of just expect that. We, we lose some of the significance of it because of that. But we've got a disciple getting out of the boat by the power of God and walking on the water. Now notice what happens as we continue. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So in the midst of this, Peter hops out of the boat and is walking towards Jesus. He's recognized who Jesus is. He's actually putting faith into action, getting out of the boat and doing something. And he is experiencing something miraculous. But in the midst of this experience, he becomes captured by what he sees around him. 
He takes his focus off of Jesus and puts his focus on his circumstances and begins to sink. I wonder how many times in the midst of God doing something in our lives that we take it back from him in order to try and fix it ourselves and we make it worse in the process. How many times we allow fear to rob us of the blessing of God, of the experience of something miraculous, because we're terrified by how things look. We live in a world in which we have more information than we need. And so you have the opportunity every day, because we are so educated and we know so much about health and science, frankly... If you've got all this information, you can convince yourself never to leave the house. Because something might happen. Because life is scary. Because the reality is that you take risks in everything you do. And so why is it that when we're taking a risk of faith, somehow we allow fear to creep in and to rob us? And that's what's happening to Peter. But I also want you to notice something else. He cries out to Jesus and he says, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, you have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped, saying, truly, you are the son of God. What I want you to catch on the tail end of that story is that sometimes when we express faith and we make a move toward Jesus, we fail. And that is okay. Somehow along the way, spirituality and Christianity in America has equated always succeeding with somehow being faithful to Jesus. I submit to you that failure is more Christian than success. That's not what we want to hear. But the reality is that the disciples were called to suffer and they were martyred and died for the message. They didn't run around and become rich and and, and life became better because of what they were called to do. Now, is there anything wrong with that? Not necessarily. But my point is, Success does not equal faith, and faith does not equal success. Not everyone successful has great faith, and not everyone who has great faith is successful in every area. So then, we've considered several things, but what I want to be clear clear that, that we understand is this. We are faced, when, when we encounter obstacles... Consider this for a moment. Obstacles afford us the opportunity to react in fear or to react in faith. Every obstacle that we encounter affords us the opportunity to choose faith or fear. To choose to handle it ourselves and to do the common sense thing, that is to protect our own interests, or to identify what might be The proper response, the response of faith. And it's not the same in every circumstance. But each time we encounter difficulty, we are given 
a choice. We are given an opportunity to express faith or to react in fear. I suggest to you today that what Peter does in the face of the storm is to recognize who Jesus is. He was the one who was willing to try, the one who was willing to see something in Jesus that the others were afraid wasn't there. They all saw what looked like Jesus, but none of them but Peter was willing to even try and believe that it could actually be him, despite the miracles that they had just witnessed. They've been traveling with this man for some time. It's not like he just hopped off the boat. And so Peter is the one who actually is willing to take the step and recognize who Jesus is. The person of Jesus. This Jesus who came and who was born of a virgin. Who came and lived a sinless life. Who proclaimed peace in a world of violence. Who identified himself with the outcast, the poor, the sinner. Not the rich, the elite, and the most religious looking. His spirituality led him to minister to the people in the gutter. So when it's interesting to consider, have you ever thought to ask yourself, if God came to earth today, where would he go? And if we just showed up on earth today, if you just popped on earth today as an adult, where would you go? What areas, what people would you gravitate toward? And why is it that God gravitated towards those who we often wouldn't consider people we would want to associate with? Jesus recognized who this Jesus was, this Jesus who would come and die on behalf of others, that through His life and through His sacrifice, others might have eternal life, that God's kingdom could be inaugurated that we could be here today that our lives could be transformed that in the illustration I gave you in the beginning I could see see I was at a point in my life when I needed to see God do something visibly and there as I worked at the house of Isaiah in that admissions office I saw our program by the power of God I don't think it was because of my, me or, or frankly anyone else I saw in a matter of six to eight months the program grow beyond 60 beds to 80. And we were again bursting at the seams. But what I, what I witnessed was the executive director, a man who's like my father today. We're very close. I witnessed him express faith. The belief that if God had started this program, if it was really God then God would fill it back up. And He would use some podunk crackhead like me who'd never put together more than a year... I, I'd really, frankly, before I went there, I'd never put together more than four months clean since I was 11. But see, God chooses to use people who we wouldn't pick to show His power so you know... That it was Him. So you can see that it was Him. But you have to recognize who He is. 
And secondly, Peter actually got out of the boat. He didn't just believe that God could do it. He believed that God could do it. And he got out of the boat. He actually picked his foot up, put it over the side and stepped out and put weight on it. We're real good at thinking about getting out of the boat. We're really good at talking about getting out of the boat. But I wonder today, how is God calling you and me through our position here, through our community of faith, to get out of our boat in the midst of our difficulty? I don't know what yours is, but let me tell you, I have problems of my own. My life is not rosy. And that's okay. Because we all face different difficulties. But the reality is that we're in it together as a community of faith who believe, who recognize who Jesus is. That He's the Son of God. That He saves us from our sin. And it's not just about heaven. It's actually about transforming who we are and who we be in this world. How we live and who we are to others. And so, whatever your obstacle, how is God calling you to recognize who He is? Perhaps that means you committing your life in faith to Christ if you haven't done that. Perhaps this means you making some type of other commitment if you've already committed your life to Christ. To recognize more that this is the same Jesus who came and died, who is now on the water, not a ghost. And who is calling you to Himself to express faith in order to experience something miraculous. And it may be miraculous for you, or it may be miraculous for those who witness you. Notice Jesus and Peter get back in the boat, and those that were in the boat worshipped Jesus as the Son of God. So I wonder what it is that God's calling you to do to express faith, to get out of the boat, in order that people who see your life might actually worship Jesus as the Son of God because of what God has done in your life. What is it that you've been through? What is it that God has brought you through? This goes back to the cardboard testimony. One of the most powerful services that I've ever been in, first one I'd ever participated in, I watched hundreds of people from our church, people that I see every week, many of you, all with your cardboard. And I watched and I felt God's presence uh, in, in such a, a concrete and tangible way that day because I saw the power of God through our testimonies of what we've been through. The same people who come and smile and look nice on Sunday. The reality is that we've all struggled and faced obstacles and some have been overcome and some are still going on. But we're in it together. And it's amazing to see what God can do in our lives. And then finally I ask, how can you approach Him in faithful action? I suggest that getting out of the boat by faith at least means doing something to serve. For the last couple of weeks, we've been doing that thing in your bulletin, find your fit, trying to find out kind of what your personality traits are and how you could fit into the body of Christ here in this community. I suggest to you that for many of us who have committed our lives to Jesus, 
no matter at what point or for how long we've believed and have been in church or not been in church. I don't care if you've been here two days or two, 20 years. How is it today that God is calling each of us to get out of the boat and do something to serve? I don't know if that means you being a greeter or working in the nursery or perhaps coming up here one day when most people aren't here and doing something hands-on, like, you know, guy stuff. I'm not a guy stuff kind of guy. I'm just... We all have our kind of different niches. Maybe you're, you build stuff. There's lots of people here who build stuff, but I don't. And that's okay. How is it that you're being called to serve? How is it that you're being called to get out of the boat? And so what we've seen today is that the truth is that we all face obstacles and the solution to that problem for Christians is to recognize who Jesus is and to approach Him in faithful action. Get out of the boat. And we apply that by believing in Jesus, by recognizing who He is, committing our lives to Him, and by doing something, by serving other human beings, whether here in this church, or outside at your work, or in your home, or wherever you do it. In every area of life, not just Sunday, we're called to serve others, to love others, to be different in the world. And in order to do so, we have to, have to, recognize Jesus and get out of the boat. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the opportunity to be here today to witness Your Spirit in action, to be a part of what You are doing and what Your Word communicates to us. I pray, O oh Lord, that You would soften each of our hearts, that You would permit the words that have been spoken to penetrate our soul, to move us beyond thought or feeling, to action, to do something, to be Your church. God, I pray that You would show each of us how we could better serve You in every area of our lives. Forgive us of our sin. We commit ourselves to You knowing that we perhaps will fall in the water even as we walk towards You. And we know that You will reach Your hand out to us. As we go out from here, Lord, continue to speak to us about who and how we should serve others and proclaim Your kingdom through our action and our words. In Jesus' name, Amen.